welcome listeners to www.ironradio.org, the website and podcast for all things strength sports and sports nutrition. With your hosts, Lonnie Lowry. I almost hate to use the word educational. Charles Staley. And uh, I failed phys ed and English all the way through high school. Phil Stevens. I guess I'm kind of the, uh, the dark horse here. And Rob Fortress Fortney. But there really is no secret. Thanks for listening. All right, everybody. This is Lonnie Lowry, just by way of introductions. I am an exercise physiologist, I'm a nutrition researcher, and I'm a bodybuilder. Hello, people. I'm Rob Fortress Fortney. I'm a former editor at MuscleMag International, former competitive bodybuilder, and all around strength enthusiast. And good afternoon, everybody. This is Charles Staley. I currently serve as technical director at www.fibromangina.com. <laughs> and uh, I am also author of Muscle Logic and a competitive master's level weightlifter. Uh, this is Phil Stevens, strength coach, powerlifter, and oh my goodness. Um, I am actually the, uh, I guess, the, the person who actually identified fibromangina in its first full festering case. Yeah. So, before we so get Phil, into- you're a, are you a uh, fibromangina sufferer yourself? That's right. Oh yes, I am. Yeah, I'm a sufferer. I'm a, a, I am the owner and the client. <laughs> yeah. Before we get into this, I want to just make the point that the the podcast this week is uh, three o'clock for a reason. Um, and it's, it's an exception to the rule. Of course, we we will stay with the two o'clock Eastern uh, podcast time. But for this week, we were made adjustments for our to be hopefully guests. Derek Poundstone, who um, hasn't joined us yet, so in the, in the uh, likelihood that maybe he doesn't, we'll, I don't know, make some uh, other discussions about some other stuff, right, guys? Absolutely. <laughs> so anyway. So do you guys want to, do you guys want to start by sort of uh, defining this, this thing? Uh, just to preface this for a couple of people, there's a, uh, there's an interesting video that's on YouTube and it's circulating around. I actually saw it on uh, wannabebig.com. Uh, it's sort of infiltrating these threads and, and people are uh, making some serious comments about this. And it, it sounds like a, you know, something that listeners might be, want to be aware of. Well, it is. And Lonnie, I also, you know, we don't often discuss subject matter that's uh, adult in nature and. Uh, uh, but this is going to be an exception to that, and uh, you know, if you've got small kids in the room, um, this is not the time. So, uh, we'll just give you a, a moment here to just uh, find something else for them to do while we discuss this uh, this condition that's known as uh, fibromangina. And uh, uh, we recently got done filming uh, a promotional video, as, as Lonnie was just mentioning, uh, for this disease, and. Uh, uh, what a lot of people don't know, and, and you know, you can't blame a guy like Phil for for not being public with something like this, but he last week just came out of the closet and just announced that he was a fibromangina sufferer. And uh, Phil, uh, let's talk about this a little bit since uh, you know it's it's public knowledge at this point. I mean, you're you're in remission now, right? Yes. Yeah. I, I well, I wouldn't say you're. It's kind of like alcoholism. You're always an alcoholic. Right. You're always a you're always fibromangenic. Um, <laughs> uh, you, hey, but you know what? I just just to interrupt quickly because you know when people always use that disease model of alcoholism, I always say you know if you're stuck on a desert island, there's no alcohol, are you really an alcoholic? So, in the yeah. same vein, if you're stuck on a desert island and there's no weights and there's no meat and there's no athletic competitions, can you really say that you still have fibromangina? 
I'd say yes, you can. It's very habitual as well as as manifesting in just your um, kind of beyond the cerebral, you know, untrained thought. It's right, right, right. I mean, what you need to do. I mean, I, I urge everybody to read my my article that kind of went into the disease and explained it. Um, in short, it lies dormant in every male. Um, right. It starts to manifest itself in between the ages of 12 and 20 usually um, and really comes forth. And then by the ages of 60 to 75, it, it becomes much less threatening. Um, okay, it's still so. there, but it kind of manifests itself later as old man is feminist instead of full-blown fibromangina. That's I see. So, so, so what are the, what are some of the symptoms then? Um, well, fibromyalgia itself, like a, it's it's not all bad. Um, when kept in check, it's good. It's the thing that inside the the male that keeps you like simple male grooming. You know, washing. You know, keep you wash your butt when it gets a little too stinky. You know, things like that. You shave every once in a while. You you put on clean clothes. Clean meaning kind of the male definition. Not that it's you know, that it's been worn before, but it doesn't like offend you to wear it. Things sure. like that, um, like like, like the one day old pile. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it should be mentioned. I mean, if if you have good hygiene, I mean, that by itself is not sufficient indication that you have fibro. No, so it's really, the overall collection of, of symptoms that 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 really lead to the diagnosis. Yeah, I mean, when it's when you when it goes unchecked and it's a lot to fester, you start seeing things, you know, more complex stuff like male skinny genitis, you know, things like that. Um, you know, excessive aches and pains and excuses to not like do just regular male things. You know, lifting heavy things, uh, enjoying watching football, and you know, reading books about war and such. That's <laughs> nice. cool. Now hold on, is Derek on with us yet? I oh, guess what's not. up, man? <laughs> oh, is it Hello? Derek? Are you on? Yeah, this is it. This is me. Oh well, we're gonna have to suddenly uh, change subjects here because uh, we can't put fibromangina in in front of uh, Derek Poundstone. So well, I was, I called in. And I just was sort of listening. I was like, did I call the right number? <laughs> <laughs> I was actually kind of, uh, I had you on mute and I was listening and it was quite entertaining. <laughs> <laughs> That's called filler, Derek. <laughs> yeah, my bad, man. You know, it's, you know me, I'm, I'm burning the candle from like both ends and in the center, you know, so just got off work and I uh, was getting ready from the gym and, uh, you know, I was running a little behind, so as usual. <laughs> oh, well, welcome to the show, Derek. Oh, I appreciate you guys adjusting the schedule a little bit so I can call in. It's just... I got such a, a hectic work schedule, and as you guys were in touch with my agent Jamie, uh, just appearance schedule and stuff. It's, it's yeah. quite an interesting lifestyle I lead, I guess you could say. You know. I got gotcha. you. Now, um, l let's just begin a little bit with uh, telling the people kind of a little bit about yourself. I mean, obviously, I'm, I'm sure most of our listeners are aware of the fact that you're a top strongman competitor, and uh, you know, um, always, always pushing the boundaries, that kind of thing. Now, um, looking over your site, and by the way, for people out there who would like to uh, look further into this, his um, Derek Poundstone's website is um, poundstonepower.com, correct? Yeah, that's correct. Um, so people can uh, look at that, and there's videos there and all sorts of cool things. But um, going through kind of your bio and so forth, um, it, you kind of have a little bit of an interesting story. Um, you 
again, we're, we're, we're the, the son of um, an Air Force um, um, officer, I believe. And uh, you yeah. moved around a lot when you were young, um, but you found weight training, well, probably when most people do that, get into weight training, fine. You are 14, right, when you got into it? No, it was actually my brother's 16th birthday, so I was like 13 at the time. Okay, okay. You're 29 now, right? Uh, well, 20, I'll be 29 in this year. Okay, okay. Um, and, and your story is kind of like um, you kind of got swayed some by the wrong crowd here and there and that type of thing and moved around a lot and... Um, eventually found yourself coming back to it um, in a more serious way. But I think I think your first exposure to it competitively was powerlifting, correct? Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, it wasn't, um, I guess, you know, instead of you sort of explaining the past, I guess it's it's a little better. It, it, to read it is one thing, but to sort of uh, understand it, like, the way I sort of think about it is another. Um, you know, I, I was just sort of, you know, a guy, I mean, there's a lot of people that can sort of identify from where I came from, just so young kid and just really had really no no real direction. My parents were great parents, you know. Um, I got a little bit of grief from family because they thought my father was portrayed pretty pretty poorly in the story that was done in Men's Journal, but it's quite the contrary. He's actually a, an awesome guy. He just he just had you know issues and and um, instead of making that an excuse in my life, you know, I I decided that despite you know many traumatic injury you know issues and injuries and so on and so forth, uh, I just had this inherent sort of desire just to, you know, uh, succeed in, in any way, shape, or form. And, um, you know, it's a kind of interesting story. And I, the weightlifting for me was sort of a savior, I guess. You know, some people become born-again Christians. Some people become, you know, um, whatever, you know, they, they end up going to college, and, and, and that's their way of sort of finding themselves. For me, it was when I was 13 years old, it was in the gym. And I just found that, you know, a counselor, you can go see counseling, and you could you can get, you know, 15 people can give you 15 different stories, but for me, I found that it was, you know, the weight sort of never lied, you know. I mean, it's the weight, the weight, and uh, I just loved it. I loved the fact that, you know, you can go in the gym and not care how crappy of a day you had. The weight's always the same, you know, and uh, right. now, powerlifting was sort of my first uh, adventure, absolutely. Right. Now, you um, competed in, I believe, several meets in powerlifting um, before kind of making your way over to strongman. Um, and obviously you were, you were successful as a powerlifter. What what was it that um, swayed you from powerlifting more towards a specificity of uh, strongman? Well, it's actually a pretty cool story. One of my good friends, I mention him in every story. Um, her, you know, anytime you want to ask me about how I got into competing, is uh, I watched strongman on TV. Always wanted to do it, and I was a young kid, and I was like, man, I didn't want to do it, but I just was fascinated by it, I should say. And uh, when I was training at the gym, and sort of. And just really no focus on life. Uh, an older gentleman, uh, Dave Petroroy, uh, a really good friend of mine. Um, at the time, he was kind of in his in his fifties. Really strong guy, and he's like, "Man, you got it. You got to do something. I mean, you're you're a talented guy." I never never squatted, never really deadlifted. Um, I just did benching. You know, just just like most teenagers, just benched and did like squats on a Smith machine. I was like that kid, you know. And uh, but I was big. I was you know, over 200 pounds. When I was 16 years old, and by the time I was 17, I was around 250. Um, mm-hmm. By the time I was 19 and competing, I was 275. <laughs> so he just sort of took me under his wing a little bit and taught me a little bit of the ropes. And within six, four months of, of deadlifting and squatting, I was already squatting over five and deadlifting um, uh, close to seven, 700 pounds. Mm-hmm. So it just it just came very very quickly for me. And injuries came, and obviously that sort of thing. So um, the powerlifting bug bit me and. 
and I, I was successful in that, and I still had a desire to to do the strongman stuff. I, I remember still watching. I was powerlifting, and I was right around a 700-pound deadlifter and a you know a high 600-pound squatter, and um, you know benching. I can't remember my bench was over 400. And I watched this sort of stuff on uh, on TV, and I remember Stubby Reigns was competing that year, and I saw him. Uh, you know, he won the deadlift with like 800 pounds. I was like. I'm like 100 pounds from that, you know. I can give this a shot. I can, I can do this. And then lo and behold, uh, uh, through a powerlifting meet, I got hooked up with the North American Strongman Society, um, and the rest is sort of history. Would you ever consider going back and doing some powerlifting meets at this point, or no? Oh, you know, I've been I've been dying to. Just my schedule is tough. Um, I was going to do one um, April 10th. Uh, uh, Sean Catterley had, had an event down in um, Texas, and it was a push pull. Okay. Uh, he sort of me and him were talking back and forth, and I was trying to work some stuff out with my schedule. I just, it just couldn't, I couldn't make it work. But he thought it'd be pretty cool because I was shooting for a 900-pound raw deadlift and a 600-pound raw bench, which we thought would be pretty cool because I'm not a powerlifter. I'm, you know, I'm a strongman. Yeah, I was going to actually you know? ask that because I was interested to how you know a strongman, such a successful strongman as yourself, would kind of um, um, approach powerlifting in this day and age of you know raw versus equipped and so forth. So I, I, I assumed you'd probably go more towards the raw thing, but. Um, yeah, I don't. I really don't care. You know, I mean, I, I, I don't really. I, I compete with suit. You know, like in, in strongman, you can use a suit for deadlifting. Um, you know, so I, I, I use a suit, and I think it's uh, the cool thing about this. You know, deadlift suit particularly is, you know, you still. It's not like a squat suit where you're getting tons and tons uh, of an advantage or a shirt where you're. You know, some guys are basically doubling or close to doubling their their raw or unequipped numbers. Uh, the deadlift suit, you know, it's. It's more of a, uh, it's, got, it's more of a fine line. Helps a little bit, but you know I get seven percent. You know we, we figure out in the gym and um, sit down and figure about what I get. I get about seven percent, and that's usually about that's about on the high side. You know. Now, to, you you actually alluded to earlier um, injuries and so forth that you suffered quite a bad one a few years ago in your back. Um, yeah, yeah. Tell us a little uh, bit about that because it was within several months, I believe, that you actually went and then won a title. Is that is that right? Uh, six months the day after my injury, uh, I, I herniated my disc. I herniated two discs, L3, L4, and L4, L5, on October 26th of 2006. Um, I remember the day because it was there's sort of turning points in, in uh, one's life, I guess. And the first was my father passed away in 2000. That's when I really started begin pursuing this life in general, just trying to excel more and and decided I didn't want to. You know, just sort of exist. I wanted to live and enjoy my life a little more, so I just end up giving 110 percent because it's just to to live a day and just sort of do enough to get by and work and come home and watch TV and stuff my face and just be like a you know just an existence, like basically like a sheep led to slaughter. That's it's just a waste, you know. And, and I figured it, it took really no not much effort to to try to excel. You know, do the best I could at work and do the best I could in the gym and come home and, and try to enjoy my life the best I could and. That sort of zeal is, is what made me, um, you know, took me to the, the heights of, of strongman and, you know, my career as a police officer and, and so on and so forth. But then when I suffered the injury, it sort of made me had to, I had to sort of go back to the roots and figure, you know, what was I going to do, you know? And um, I could train the same old way, so I, I devised sort of a new way of training and gave my body a little more respect instead of beating it up day in and day out. And, um, Within six months, actually six months, like I said, to the day of herniated two discs and being told I'd never be able to lift anything heavy again. Um, not only did I win America's Strongest Man um, by record 30-point margin, but I also deadlifted 805 pounds, which was the weight that I, I had uh, herniated the two discs on uh, six months prior. Was there surgery involved with uh, 
No, no. Uh, I had a particularly interest, interesting herniation. Um, I had central herniations, which so they don't, they don't affect the, the nerves, the sciatic nerves going out the side. Um, but the interesting about it was, for some reason, my spinal cord had suffered a, a hemorrhage. It had ripped and forced. You know, mind you that people think spinal cord, they automatically think the nerves associated with spinal cord. Spinal cord is, just, is, is the actual cord itself that wraps all the nerves. Well, that cord had ripped a little bit, causing blood to, to rush inside the, the cord and, and form a hematoma. Right. And that was what was particularly dangerous. The herniations, I mean, 70% of people that have back injuries don't even know it. Um, they're walking around with, with, you know, back aches or whatever, and they might have a herniated disc in their upper back or lower back, whatever. And usually from twisting or sneezing or doing something odd in an odd angle. Well, mine were central in nature, so they're not affecting the nerves. It just... Uh, just caused me, if I stand up for a very long time, I get some inflammation, which causes uh, my back to have a little bit of a spasm. But the uh, particularly interesting thing was the, the hematoma, which had caused me a lot of pain and a lot of worry to my doctor. They wanted to go in and try to remove the blood, but that's obviously very dangerous because you're talking about cerebral spinal fluid that was now had been with blood, and then you're going, talking about going in with a needle under x-ray and trying to suck it out. And the thing that might have stopped the bleed, whatever bled, um, is under pressure, and you know, when you relieve the pressure, it might cause the bleed again. It's it's very very difficult. So, with the help of my doctor, we sat down and decided not to do anything and just let it sort of rest. And um, of course, you know, I didn't really rest. I went to the gym and did a uh, started with benching and went to bench meet um, about five or six days um, after. Actually, I'm sorry, five or six days after I started training again. So I think two and a half weeks out from the injury. Wow. And this is all after the doctor told you, like you said, you'd never lift anything heavy again. Yeah, but you know, I talked. I had a neurosurgeon that told me that, and I don't, you know, I don't discredit him. He was—he's a great surgeon and a and a great guy who's kept in contact with me since then. Um, his name's Dr. Tory up here in uh, Waterbury, Connecticut. Great doctor, you know. I mean, I've had I think eight or nine MRIs since, and the the, the hematoma has completely subsided to the point where you can't even tell that it existed, which is uh, impossible. Um, and they, they think the reason that that has happened is because. The amount of the amount of weight I lift and, and moving with such heavy objects, it caused the sort of uh, all the blood vessels and everything around my spinal cord um, to sort of grow and get larger and increase the amount of blood flow. Because that's the only thing that stops the spinal cord from injuring. Uh, I mean, from recovering. So yeah, it's actually interesting you say that because Lonnie and I several, uh, several weeks ago were were discussing um, the the possibility that people that you know engage in a lot of you know intense weight training for years and years. You know, obviously, it would stand to reason that they would develop, you know, systems that would um, almost make their recuperative abilities from injury or whatever um, maybe that much heightened. So, it well, absolutely, like because well, there's some, you know, recuperation all starts with blood, uh, because blood has, carries nutrients and carries damaged tissue. I won't say tissue, but but it's like a factory inside, and the factory can only work as good as the material supplied to it and energy supplied to it, and the blood is. The lifeline. It's basically the power lines, the sewer lines, the water lines, the, the gas lines, everything going into that factory. And the more you have going in, the, you know, the body, you only have so many workers depending on how, how what the production rate of the factory is, so to speak, you know. Mm-hmm. And with so much blood um, going to my spine, because look at Strongman, the sport, everything is everything you do in the sport mm-hmm. requires a lower back or the back in general. So that's why you see so many Strongman professional athletes at, at our level, at the top level, all have just fantastic deadlifts. Well, it's because everything we do is picking up stuff off the ground or picking up something off the ground and pressing overhead. I mean, so that's that's the general consensus was that 
this constant abuse of my lower back to cause sort of increase in blood flow. Yeah. Turn now, a lot um, of body to recover. Right. Now, you, uh, how, long, how long have you been a police officer now? Uh, years. I'm sorry? Six years. Oh, six years. Okay. Um, how, how do you find that that, um, obviously people know that, you know, um, ex-Mr. Olympia Ronnie Coleman's a police officer or was at the time. I mean, and he eventually um, chose to um, let it ra- rest for a while because, you know, because of all his training and so forth. I mean, do you uh, ever foresee a time when you'll um, have to give up one for the other or so forth? Or? No, I, I hope not. You know, um, it's, it keeps me grounded. I guess you could say. Um, I think working a, a very blue-collar job like like I do, and a, you know, a very physically demand not physically, I'm sorry, mentally demanding job, sort of keeps me on my toes. A and then B, it, it just it really keeps me grounded. Keeps me sort of remembering where I came from. Um, I mean, I can travel the world, and I, I just came back for a trip to Asia, uh, Japan, and China. Did you know, some business stuff over there, in addition to a, a little TV program, a world record program, want me to break up a world record with a dumbbell, which. You, we talk about later, I guess. Um, and while I was, uh, you know, out there, it, you know, I got treated. You get treated great, you know. I mean, I got treated like like a strength athlete, like a, like a top athlete. And, and what I do, it, it was it was fantastic. Well, then I come back to work, and it's just you know, basically my supervisor yelling at me because I I don't pay work, and you know, you stop a car, and they're like, you know, I didn't run that red light, you know. I mean, it's just, <laughs> you know, it, right, right. It sort of reminds me of of where I came from and and how bad I always wanted to be at the level I am I am now. You know, mm-hmm. I, I live every every boyhood fantasy. You know, when you think about it. What, what kid doesn't grow up to want to be Superman? What kid doesn't want to grow up to be a cop? You know, I'm sort of fulfilling both fantasies. Right. Now, what are what are you, obviously? How many times have you won the uh, America's Strongest Man? I won it. I won it twice. Twice, yeah. And um, what what is your favorite um, um, success in, in strongman? What title or placement or? Uh, you know, it's tough. I think. Um, it's really tough. America's Strongest Man has a sort of certain deal to it because it's it's America's Strongest Man, and we're, you know Americans are very proud of you know what we do. You know, if we're not good at a sport, we don't watch it. <laughs> you know, um, like soccer, for instance. You know, we're not we're not the best soccer players in the world, and look, we don't, we're not really watching it. You know. Um, that being said, you know I, I think that to have a good American champion is, is, is huge. I mean, to be the best in America at something is fantastic. Right. But, you know, I think winning the Arnold Classic to me was, you know, two times was huge because it, 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 the second time to sort of defeat your title is, is, is or to, I'm sorry, to defend your title is, is huge to me. Uh, it's anyone. I mean, it, you can always say, oh, well, you know, the first time, I, you know, you win something, it's luck and any given Sunday and that sort of thing. Well, the second time, I mean, come on. <laughs> Lightning doesn't right. strike twice. You know? right. And um, I, a lot of people, I think, I have fans, which is so weird to say. I mean, I never thought in a million years that I'd be saying I have fans, but uh, if you're only speaking, there's there's a lot of people that sort of follow the sport, and there's a lot of people that become fans of mine, which is cool. I mean, I love that. And, you know, they, they think I'm, you know, the greatest thing since sliced bread. But then you have other athletes that just feel like, you know, um, or, or, or portray or sort of exude this sort of, well, you know, you got lucky because Judas wasn't there in 09, you know. Mm-hmm. So I came back and uh, you know I competed in World Strongest Man in 2009, took fourth. Very, I mean that's the worst placing I took in 15 months. Um, I'm placed below second, you know, and here I am at fourth. And people are like, oh, he's on his way out. So I just sort of 
kept my own devices. I, I sort of went and down. When I say hiding, but I used to post a lot of videos and be very active with trying to, you know, talk to people and on, you know, forums and, you know, my YouTube videos get, you know, got tens of thousands of views relatively quickly. But I stopped posting videos. I, I stopped really talking on the forums and, you know, I just sort of went back to basics, which was just eat, sleep, work, and train, you know. Um, and I trained like words can express the type of stuff that I did myself, and um, you know the, the result is is was winning the 2010 Arnold Classic. And not only winning it, but beating probably one of the strongest men who's ever lived, Zdravicus. So um, now you make an interesting point on your uh, website. There's a point that you're six foot one, um, and you give up a lot of um, height and weight to your um, competitors. How much do you weigh? Well, <laughs> I used to give up a lot of height and weight. <laughs> I give up a lot of height, but not a lot of weight now. Um, okay. Right now, I'm right around 330. 330, okay. What's the heaviest you've ever been? Uh, 340, about six okay. weeks prior to, the, prior to Arnold, I was 340. Okay. Did, are, do you ever actively pursue um, extra body weight, or is it just kind of like a um, if it, if you get more extra body weight from your training, like that the kind of thing? No, I, I I focus on extra body weight with a passion because it's – you know, mass moves mass, you know, weight moves weight. The heavier I am, the stronger I am. Sure. Um, there's a, a fine line <laughs> between where performance, uh, it's, hard, it's, it's hard to explain this. You know, I mind it makes sense. I try to explain it so people don't really get it. But in strongman, you have to be physically fit and you have to have great recuperation, great conditioning, but you also have to have the be the strongest and best condition that you possibly can be. Well, be, conditioning is on one end. And strength is on the other end. Well, they're both like a, you know a, a line that goes. At one point, just like if you're graphing the horsepower in a car, at, at 5,250 RPM, the horsepower and the torque always always meet because you you calculate uh, horsepower from torque. Okay. And if, <laughs> I'm not sure if you're a car guy, but that's that's a little inside. No, no, I understand. is like okay, <laughs> I'll, I'll buy that. <laughs> Yeah, man. I, listen, I, you know, I sort of lead a weird life, and I, my mind goes a mile a minute, and I think about weird stuff like this. But we're in the same way, you know. You, we basically have, you know, the conditioning, which we'll say is like uh, horsepower, and then we have just the brute strength, which is like torque. Well, at some point, they meet, and no one really has found, no athlete really has, has found that perfect sport point. Like Marius, greatly conditioned guy, unbelievable, but in the heavier shows, they do that well. So Jonas is, is about as close as he can possibly come because he, believe it or not, he's got really good conditioning and he's just ungodly strong. The guy is just can move mountains. It seems like. But uh, I'm sorry, who are we talking about? The Jonas, the Vickers. Okay, okay. Yeah, I mean, unbelievably strong guy. So that being said, I'm trying to find that. You got to find that perfect balance where your strength and your conditioning sort of meet, and you're like the sort of the perfect athlete, you know. And that's sort of where I try to try to find. <laughs> so I usually end up prior to an event, putting on as much weight as possible, which is like sometimes just three or four pounds. I have a really hard time putting on weight. And then, um, you know, eight weeks out, just training the best I can for the competition, just seeing where my body goes. I don't really, like I said, for the Arnold six weeks out, I was 340 pounds, and I just stopped focusing on the gaining weight and just figured out where I felt good. And I noticed that my conditioning was kind of crappy, so I started doing a little more cardio, started eating really good, and my weight dropped to uh, 330. And I, I feel like that was the best I've ever been in my life as far as uh, strength and conditioning. So. Okay. Hey, Rob. Rob, let, let, me just, let me just ask, since, since Derek just mentioned, you know, eating well and things like that, what do you do specifically? I mean, there's a lot of young guys listening to the podcast and whatnot. 
what advice could you give them or maybe share a little bit about yourself or how you eat to recover or to gain weight or to lose weight? Any tricks you have or philosophies you can share? Yeah, yeah, I'll use another analogy. I, I think you kind of know it, so I'm like the analogy king. <laughs> um, it, it's like, let's say you have uh, you have a race car which runs on you know, high-octane fuel, then you have like a dragster runs off like a, uh, alcohol, you know? Well, those are all basically have the same base of, of gasoline. So my basic diet is is a very clean, high-protein diet. That's like my, my gas, so to speak. And then as I sort of get ready for a competition and put on more weight, well, I'm going to add more fat and more crap to it. Or if I'm doing like World's Strongest Man, I'm going to sort of take more of the crap out of it because I want to compete in World's Strongest Man usually a little leaner because it's not a very, very heavy show. Well, it hasn't been until 2009 where it was the heaviest it's ever been. So that's so I had the base, which is basically like my fuel and I put my additives as as my body sees fit, meaning for the armor plastic, I try to come in as heavy as possible usually. Um or try to put on as much weight prior to the event and then sort of seal it out. So my clean diet basically is, uh, again, most of my calories, I would say 50% of my calories come from protein. I would say that 25% from fat and 25% from carbohydrates. I don't really eat a high-carbohydrate diet. I never never crave sugar, and I just sort of eat for, for what I crave. I think it's the body's inherent sort of response to uh, fuel, fuel yourself the way that your body sees fit, you know. Um, I just I just... Don't really crave carbohydrates ever. So, um, just by the way it happens, I, I I pack a ton of protein in my lunch every day, and normally I finish every ounce of chicken and protein and you know yogurt that I I I, I can, and I only get my carbohydrates from like two yogurts and a banana, and some milk prior to my workout, and then afterwards I try to have a, a bowl of pasta with my with my dinner. Um, but usually my, my diet is extremely clean. Um, but then when I'm trying to gain weight, I'll add ice cream and you know, microwavable pizzas and stuff like that to a very clean diet, and that's how I get the extra calories. Right. I think that's a good place to segue, though, into the uh, topic of the day. Do you not think? Guys? Sounds good. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, let's yeah. get to the topic of the day, Phil, if you get the music there. Yep. Since we have uh, Sir Poundstone here as our guest, uh, one of the best uh, strongmen in the world, we thought we would just uh, talk, talk specifically to just um, the specificities of, of strongman training. Certainly, that Derek has a, a you know a history in, in, in powerlifting and so forth as well. I, I, he's certainly uh, qualified to talk a lot about um, the differences and where there's similarities and so forth. And of course, Phil um, is our resident strongman guy too. So um, this. And uh, we could probably get some offer up some good stuff here. So, um, Derek, tell us a little bit about your training. And, uh, again, maybe just the basic differences that you've noticed since you've switched over specifically to uh, strongman. How it how it differs? Oh wow! Uh, I mean, I know that's opening a can of worms, obviously, but I mean, um, oh, it's a pretty easy question. They're just they're not they're not similar at all. <laughs> um, a strongman can can train. Um, the way, the way strong, I would say the way strongman should be training, at least, would make them uh, decent powerlifters, if not very good powerlifters, but 
I think the way that Pilots is trained would make him a very poor straw man. See, so it's, it's just they're totally different. Not very poor. I'm talking about the best in the world now. You know, the best Pilots I don't think would do very well in a in a, in a strongman competition just because it's all the moving. So that being said, I think to be a very good strongman, you have to really learn how to to move with with a lot of weight. So the training is um, not just on strength, but basically just overall integrity of the entire body. Now we're talking about joints and bones and everything. Uh, you can't just jump in a strongman and a year after um, training expect to be one of the best in the world. I, I, I think it's impossible. I mean, not even remotely possible because, the, again, you're walking with a 1,000-plus pounds on the back. It's much different than squatting a 1,000 pounds. A lot sure. more stuff going on. And, and I'm sure anyone that's – any listener that's watched a powerlifter squat with 1,000 pounds, look at, look at how they struggle if they walk out – if they even walk out of a rack, if they're not using monolift. Now, can you imagine, you know, walking 60, 80, 100 feet with 1,000 pounds? I mean, it's just – it's you, you, you risk life and limb, so to speak, because it, the, the like let's say the average the human hip is only meant to withstand so much force. Which most professional competitions, um, the yoke is you know it's, it nearly doubles what the hips are, are meant to withstand. So that being said, it's it's you have to train a lot and let your body sort of adapt to it. Right. Uh, thing the powerlifting is any any different, but it's 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 as far as the training goes, but it's just to, to, totally different. Realms. I mean, totally different realms. You know. Um, so but, I, I mean, obviously, <clears throat> obviously, you incorporate a lot of power. <laughs> excuse me, a lot of powerlifting training into into your training. So. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, <clears throat> powerlifting training by you know I squat and deadlift and bench, but I don't I don't do it in any sort of uh, manner. That it, I guess uh, yeah, a little bit, but just just the lifts are the only thing that that are similar. You know, I mean, I do reps and volume, and you know, I get grief because I do touch and go reps and so on and so forth. And um, you know, but my my general sort of way of thinking is, I need I just work on just totally overloading the muscle usually, um, and lifting something by any means necessary, which is different than powerlifting, where obviously you can't double flex the knee, you can't hitch. You know, I've devised a, a very interesting way of hitching uh, a bar and deadlift. So, you know, again, they're just two totally different ways of training. I think that a lot of powerlifters, power if they were to incorporate some strongman type of training, um, you, you would, it, there's a lot of benefit to it, you know, because it's it's just so radical and so so far beyond what was considered, um, you know, acceptable for, for to put the body under, you know, mm-hmm. ten years ago. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's fascinating stuff, you know. Phil, how do you? Uh, has, um, Phil uh, has competes in both. How do you kind of a uh meld the two in your training? Well, I mean, I agree. I did most of my strongman prior to taking up powerlifting, and I think, you know, I made a quick transition, and I think, like Derek's saying, it, the extreme stresses you put your body under, it's... I, I, I'll be the first to say, I mean, powerlifting was like taking a break. It is. Um, <laughs> uh, you're going to some powerlifters, man. <laughs> Compared to doing strongman, it was. I mean, it was like, okay, now all I have to do is squat, bench, and deadlift. Yeah. Um, I'm much less prone to injuries, but, you know, what I was able to do is come into my first powerlifting meets, and from, again, I agree, it's totally everything you do in strongman requires a strong back. And it brought me into meets where, sure, I was I was not doing as well in the squat and bench, but I was winning meets because of my deadlift. And I have a bulletproof back now. That's the only thing on me that's never been hurt. And I, I swear that comes from the strongman. So. Yeah. 
Um, and the conditioning, you know, I, I haven't, I've just kind of had my conditioning on upkeep in the last two years since I've mainly been doing powerlifting. But I mean, it's bled from from that prior doing farmers, doing yokes, doing you know. If you can drag an eighteen thousand pound tractor trailer a hundred feet, I mean, walking out squat squat it ain't much. So, well, Phil, listen, I have a question for you and and uh, Derek both. Is I, first of all, how tall are you guys? Uh, Derek is six one. Is that right? Yeah. Cause I saw that on your on your site. How tall are you, Phil? I never really asked you. About six one. Yeah. Six one. Is that where do you guys fall in the height spectrum? Because my real question for you guys is, can short guys compete successfully in strongman? I mean, sub six foot guys, five ten, let's say something like that. I'll let you go first, Phil. If you want to. I say you can, over each other. To, you can compete um, in like math. Your strongman at the amateur level, sure, Lonnie. I don't see why you can't. You're gonna have you're gonna have some difficulty with some of the loading events and stuff, but you're gonna kick butt in like an 18 inch deadlift. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. So. Okay. Well, I you know I, I agree. I think um, at the pro level, uh, it's it's I, I think to be at the to be a top <clears throat> level athlete, you know, uh, top 10. I don't think you can be any shorter than me. Um, I think any any shorter, just it's 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 too it's just the the stones, the loading, even things like Hoosafelt stone where you got to you know wrap your arms around this giant four hundred pound stone. Right. Yeah. It just you know even in walking events when you know yeah if you're you know, shorter guy, slower center of gravity, but you know those those smaller steps, try moving your feet very quick. It's it's almost impossible when you got a lot of weight bearing down on you. So uh, yeah, I think. The, the shortest thing would be is probably six feet. I mean, not not to take anything away from from uh, guys that are shorter. You know, still I, I would say that there's always a first. You know, there's always, you know, uh, I think look look at Stubby Reigns. You know, I mean that that guy, the the, the bodybuilder from uh, the UK, did did really well one year. I think he made the finals, um, and he was like five seven, five six, five seven. You know, well over three hundred pounds. The guy was a, a powerhouse, accomplished powerlifter and bodybuilder. So anything's possible, uh, but that being said, it, there, there's some disadvantages and advantages. But the pro level, the, the, the disadvantages outweigh the advantages by far. I, yeah, I mean I agree. But I mean, all I was getting at, I agree totally with that. Um, you're going to have a lot of disadvantages, but I think at the Lonnie, I don't think you have a dream of ever being America's strongest man or world. No, I, n- no, sir. I would just want to go get aggressive in some summertime event. You know what I mean? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I would high stuff. Well, that brings up a whole other point, though. You know, that's something I think is very important. You know, I, I think just because you might not be able to be the best because you're, you know, because of there's a disadvantage. How I I love the sport of strongman because it's just it's just freaking cool, man. I mean, you just pick up a lot of heavy crap. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, yeah. See, you know, that's and you know what I think a lot of things that make bodybuilders good, like small joints that make their thighs flare or their biceps look bigger or whatever. Sometimes those same small joints are a you know, there's sort of a, uh, a deficit when it comes to something like strongman or, or powerlifting. Oh, I mean, you know, you just don't have the structure, you know. And uh, it's, But it's still fun to get aggressive, you know. And, and like you said, just uh, just go try to, you know, dispel this idea of all show and no go. You know, because there are functional sort of power bodybuilders out there that are not just, you know, sort of prancing around and, and being <laughs> You know. <laughs> <laughs> well, listen. This, this will just give you an idea. I, I I have a relationship with uh, with Enzo. They make me, you know, 
gear because all my all my stuff is like just totally retarded custom, you know. And I had to give him some more measurements because I outgrew my last deadlift suit, you know. And you, you see a picture of me, and you're, people are like, "Yeah, you know, I, I definitely look like one of the smaller of the guys," you know. I absolutely. If you look a picture next to me or me next to like Brian Shaw, who's like six foot eight, you know, four hundred pounds, or Dave Oslin, six foot seven, and you know Terry Todd. I'm sorry, Terry Hollins, who's you know, six foot six, four hundred pounds. I mean, the list goes still fister six foot six, four. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. Um, so I look like kind of a smaller guy, you know. But I, I took my measurements. I mean, my my waist or my my size is bigger than most guys' waist by five thirty one inches. My my waist is forty one inches. I look like I have a small waist. I have a forty one inch waist. <laughs> you know, my hips are fifty inches. Mm-hmm. Um, so people don't really realize. I mean, you have to have a huge structure. My my. Uh, uh, my wrist is something like nine inches. You know, I can't. I got. I want to watch the arm. I can't. I can't wear the one I won last year because it's, it's extra large is too small. So I, it, God, dude, having <laughs> having huge having huge uh, uh, bones and and joints is, is uh, a definite advantage. <laughs> and if you don't have big joints, um, don't worry, you, you will. <laughs> After trying the sport for a couple of years, <laughs> and things things start to grow in the belly too. <laughs> There is, you know, such a thing uh, as, there is such a thing as scar tissue and bone spurs, so you could get your joints bigger, I guess. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. You know, I mean, it's uh, – but the most important thing is I think, you know, I was a big fan of bodybuilding, and I just liked, you know, I just liked being able to shape the body. Well, now I'm doing something that uh, – that was when I was younger, obviously, but now I think it's pretty cool to – I mean, you, we literally the, – the top strongman, all, all the guys on stage like the Arnold Classic or World Strongest Man, we literally define evolution. Like, again, I use the thing about how much weight your, how much force your hip can take. The average human adult male, their, their hip, you know, one hit, one, you know, one hip can take about 800 pounds worth of force. So if you're to jump out of, of a building and land on, on like one leg, 800 pounds worth of force is that much. It's jumping from like four feet with your knee locked. And there's a reason for that. And that's so, you know, the, the, the weakest link vertically. So if, if you do, if God really jump out of a building or something, you're not going to blow every, every, every disc in your back. Because obviously the discs are much stronger than can withstand more force than 800 pounds. Well, think about you know a guy like me, 330 pounds walking with you know they're on a 1,116 pounds. You know, let me do the math. That's almost twice the the force on the hip. And, not, and so I'm not just standing there statically. We're we're walking with it, so there is a little bit of impact force too. Sure. You do that with the average guy. You put 1,600 pounds or 1,400 pounds plus on it on one hip. It's going to just shatter. So if I did that back when I when I first started competing, you know, I was 18 or 19, it's the it same result. I would have shattered. So uh, we yeah. literally are defying evolution, and, and we're you know our, our joints get bigger, and uh, it, it's just our hands. I mean, my hands are, you know, my my fiance Kristen is just absolutely in, in awe. Like every strawman, we have like paws, not hands. You know, they're just so thick from from you know the thick axles and thick. Everything's thick. Everything is painful too, which is, you know, it's kind of. <laughs> You know, it's it's cool, I guess. You know, it's you really challenge yourself in, in ways that that are are just so beyond uh, just going to the gym and benching and, and doing like a bodybuilder workout. I mean, it's it's everything we do is just so extreme. I love it. You know? No, I mean, yeah, I mean that's the one thing I learned in there in Strongman in, in the time I did it. You really do learn how to embrace or ignore pain, I guess. Um, It'll it just makes you mentally strong. I think you have to be mentally very damn strong to do strongman. And yeah, well, uh, you don't necessarily have to be, but but if when, 
you can be a, a so like I said, I was I won't say I was mentally weaker, but when I was younger and I just yeah. I, I wasn't really the, the type of guy I am now, you know. Uh and I think a lot of that is weight training and then obviously uh the strongman training which is you know, I, I just have this whole way of training that I just call pain tolerance training. I do some of the most off the wall things, um and, and I record it and some of the stuff on YouTube and some of the stuff we're saving for a, a training video which eventually come out. It's just some crazy stuff. Like I, I just grab that 550 pound empty frame, you know, big frame that you walk with, just shrug it with no straps, no weight belt on, whatever for 50 reps. I mean, you know, when you get to like 15, 20, you're like, man, this really sucks. This hurts. <laughs> and then just sort of just shut off your brain and just keep on shrugging, you know. And yeah. and you know, initially you, can't, you don't really master the whole technique behind, you know, trying to go beyond the pain threshold. But it, eventually, if you if you do it enough. It, it, you're able to push yourself farther and farther, and that actually has application for any athlete. Any athlete, I don't care if you're a skier, you're, uh, you know, uh, uh, and a gymnast, <laughs> a figure skater. I mean, you you have to. The more you push yourself beyond the limits, I think the better you become at your sport because you're not going to be listening to your body. You're going to be doing what you have to do to to win. Yeah, you know what? I think you I think you're hitting right there on that word athletic is one of the reasons. Not only there's a certain segment of the population that's sort of drawn to strongman. Because there is that performance and skill element to it, but it also increases its watchability. You know, it's as a spectator sport. I think, you know, it's it's cool to watch people get crazy with, you know, different <laughs> implements and just lift heavy stones or, you know, all the kinds of different um, events. But which is, by the way, before I know we're kind of running out of time here, but I wanted to ask one more question: uh, What are your favorite events? <laughs> you know, um, I would say, yeah, I, I think so you're, you're obviously a fan of the sport. I think you'd, you'd be able to guess this quickly. <laughs> um, I love um, just giant dumbbell pressing. I uh, I hold a world record for the 202 for reps, world record for two, 227 for, rep, for reps, and I also just set a world record for with the Thomas Inch for reps. So uh, I like overhead pressing and all in general, but um, – my, my favorite overhead pressing is uh, the dumbbell. Just it looks cool, and it's it's it just requires so much skill and strength and endurance because you know you like I do all my overhead pressing, my big dumbbell press with no weight belt because it impedes my breathing, and you just it's, it's just it's, it's like I watch I watch I study myself pressing. You know, my my fiance would record, and I'd study little idiosyncrasies and see things that would make my reps easier and harder, and I'd I'd break it down and why was it easier, and why was it harder, and uh, I, I was able to sort of master it, and it's just it's it's a cool thing. Like if you watch them on the over anytime I'm doing a dumbbell press, you know, for the first time I kind of really wasn't the best at it. I mean, I was the best at it without really reaching my full potential. Now it's it's just uh, it's cool. With, with as with all over pressing, you know, and, and strongman that is, you know, pressing on objects and stuff. It's just it's pretty cool how you're able to really get your body in, a, in such a position to press such huge weight overhead. It's that's what I love about the sport. Like I like moving with stuff. But I love pressing stuff overhead because it's it, it takes you know someone special to be able to be comfortable pressing a 400 plus pound log or a 450 pound two inch thick axle overhead after resting on an abdomen. You know, that's uh, cool. Absolutely. How do you? I got one question for you too. What what specific uh, cardiovascular type training do you do there? Can't I can't run? <laughs> a 300 plus pounds uh, makes running really out of the question. Uh, my knees would. Surely not like that. Um, I, I ran well in the police academy, for instance, and uh, I just suffered a lot of issues with my knees and my shins. So um, I focus mostly on stair steppers and ellipticals, actually, because uh, again, I, I want to uh, work, work my 
can work my cardiovascular endurance up, but I want to do it while stimulating as much muscle as possible. So I'll set like the, the, the elliptical. It goes up to like level 25. I'll set up to like 25. And I'll do like interval training. So I'll be up at level 25 for like, let's do like a minute, and then it'll do a, an active rest, meaning like it'll drop down to like 20. So I'm not really recovering, but I'm not really pushing 110% like I am at level 25. So I'll right. do like a minute, and then they'll recover for 30 seconds. Then I'll do like two minutes all out, and then I'll recover for like a minute, so on and so forth. So I just usually pick an interval um, routine or, or whatever you want to call it. Uh, and I do that, or a stair step, which is a toreless. Anyone that's over 300 pounds knows stair steppers are not our friends. You know, stairs in general aren't your friends. So I do a lot of you know stair step work, which keeps my knees uh, feeling pretty good and uh, really really works works out the cardiovascular system while stimulating a muscle. Which you know when you get that burning and stuff in the thighs and the lungs, and you just like face turns purple. Like that's sort of where I want to be, and I train. You know. Right. Right. <laughs> You know, what I'm saying it's, it's, it sounds. People are like, man, I don't want to do this. I want to touch this, this sport with a ten foot pole, man. It all sounds like hell. But it's, <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's just it's something about it that that just touches certain people. You know. Yeah, it takes special people. But... All right. Well, that was a great show, and uh, we really appreciate you coming on with us, Derek. Oh no, it's my pleasure. Sorry, I was a little late. It's it's par for the course with me. I'm you know I'm never on time for anything. I try yeah. my best, but. <laughs> I try, I try to fit too much stuff in, but I appreciate you guys waiting and inviting me on the show. No, no join the club, man. That, that's one of the reasons we have four four co-hosts, <laughs> because we're all in a similar boat. We totally get it, man. It's a pretty small world, so usually, uh, you know, if you're a powerful strongman, I, I must have met you at some point or, or no. <laughs> right. For all the listeners out there, again, you can uh, visit uh, Derek at his website, uh, poundstonepower.com. Um, I also want to make a, make mention of that. Uh, hey, Lonnie, our uh, trivia competition is over, is it not? Oh my goodness, that's right. This is the end. Well, I'll tell you what. All you have to do is uh, Fortress is, is pick uh, a couple of. Let me. See, I got to see how many items I have here. Um, I think two at this point. It, it pick the top, you know, or random rather, the two random correct responses to the trivia challenge, and then. Um, you know, let me know. And then email me the clip. If you have their audio clip, you can email me that, too. But uh, yeah, no, most importantly, that. of course, are, are the names, and then we'll announce them next week. Yeah, absolutely. I, we've got uh, quite a few entries. So next week, for all your listeners who have entered the competition, let, uh, listen next week, and we will uh, announce the winners of that uh, trivia competition. And just a quick uh, notice, anybody who wants to throw in something last minute, you know, we're not at the end of the day today. So if you get, get on... Um, the Iron Radio listeners fan club phase uh, page on Facebook. Uh, check out the questions, answer the four questions, and you know win some free stuff. Right, call two zero six two zero three three seven nine eight. That's two zero six two zero three three seven nine eight. You can uh, you can uh, enter in, but I guess at the end of today, then we'll uh, cut those uh, cut those off. So so get them in for any last minute people. All right, Derek. Thanks, everybody, for coming. Yeah, thanks a lot, Derek. We really appreciate your time, man. Oh, thank you, guys. I appreciate it. The Iron Radio Podcast and all of the audio on ironradio.org is for informational purposes only. If you're interested in starting a diet or exercise program, it's important to check with your physician. Also seek the help of registered dietitians, athletic trainers, and qualified exercise physiologists in order to make the progress that you need. Yeah.